Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. This is Matt. I'm Matt too. We are in our busy, busy, busy week this we, week. We're in the throes of it. We are now reviewing testimony. We are. We're 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 looking at February 14th. Anything going on special that day? Uh, February 14th. Well, if you listen to our old pods, you were obviously taking your your significant other to the committee. That's correct. To listen to what was happening, and it started off with a bang. Here, it was magical. It started off with uh, adding, oh, excuse me, LD160. Let's be official here. You and your date are talking about an act to add instruction in personal finance to the statewide system of learning results. You know, when I'm having a nice, quiet dinner moment, time with, with my significant other, my partner who I've chosen for life, and I want to whisper sweet nothings into my partner's ear, nothing is sweeter nothing than personal finance. So let's go through the testimony. The testimony is pretty much exactly as I, I thought. nothing out of that. Nothing. So the testimony. They rehearsed that and everything. That was very impressive. I didn't. I don't rehearse anything. The uh, Maine School Board Associ- Association and the Maine School Superintendents Association usually testify together in their standard way on anything that amends learning results is uh, they are opposed to it. Well, so they're just flat out opposed to it? Yep. And here's what they say, and this is pretty much in every piece of their testimony. Our associations have consistently opposed using legislation to circumvent the process for amending the learning results, and our position has not changed. And I would say that I agree with that. We've talked about some hearings that came up, especially in our last pod, about looking at all of the learning results. Yes. And that is a way to put people together and figure out is what we're doing the right way, rather than legislate by piecemeal, adding personal finance, adding civics, Adding, adding cursive, cursive. We'll adding the Holocaust. Well, not adding the Holocaust, but instruction about the Holocaust. Oh, that's right. That's that's one coming up. Yeah, oh yeah. That's that's. I do remember reading that bill. That'd be another yep. fun one. So instead of doing all these by piecemeal, they just say, okay, then you have a process to put all this stuff together. Correct. So, so go do that process. I think that, I think that the challenge though is that that process only happens every five years per content area, or it's supposed to happen for in five now. years for now. And it's supposed so to happen. It's, it's supposed a, it's a to key ha- also. Yes, it is supposed <laughs> to happen. And as a, and so if, if things happen in between that time frame, how else are they going to be added in? Because it's kind of things might, you know, personal finance or civics or teaching the Holocaust or traffic safety or cursive might be important and needs to be brought in now. So I think that's where these bills come into play. But I also understand the MSSA and MSBA's position of, hey, follow the process. Yeah, absolutely. I see, I see both sides yeah, of it. I, I, I would I would agree with that one. I do like I, – I don't uh, – let's see what I do and I don't like here. I do like the fact that personal finance is extremely important for our kids. Absolutely. Without, without a doubt. I don't think anyone's going to say, no, I don't, I don't think you should be teaching that. I think right now a lot of places already incorporate it in social studies or in math or in some places in both depending on how you what what angle you take for that one yeah i know our schools do that uh it's part of what we do already this makes it more explicit and it does some of the testimony especially by main the university of Maine system talks about 
uh, a financial literacy peer education coordinator and talks about different ways that schools could approach teaching personal finance. And the Credit Union League and the DOE, they're all like, yeah, this is all good stuff. And I, I agree. Right. I, I, I totally agree. that the, the content is necessary. The content is very good. But there's a process. But there's a process. There's a process, like there is for any subject area that they want to add. And that's and, and if you read the uh, the Department of Education's testimony um, from Beth Lambert, coordinator of secondary education, without saying so much, is exactly what she says. Yeah. She says, you know, hey, we totally agree. This is great. But did you also know that there's another bill coming forward with this? It's it's right. It's coming. We're going to talk about that in a second. Right. There's there there. We also have addressed financial literacy in these other ways. We've done it over here, and so mm-hmm. there's a way in which we've gone about doing this and done that. So just so you know, it doesn't really. She, she in, in in a way says, we're on it. Yeah, exactly. We're we're, we're doing this. Exactly. We, we we hear you. We got you. There's another bill that might do this a bit better. So let's talk about that one. Because it's in the same day. The, in the, fact, it's, it's next. It's, it's next. It's LD-283, which is a resolve regarding legislative review of portions of Chapter 132, learning results, parameters for essential instruction, a major substantive rule of the DOE. Now, what's fun, what's fun is when you go and you print this out online from the, the DOE whatnot, it's it's a one-pager. Nice. It's a bunch of whereases and then an emergency cl- an adoption and an emergency clause, and it pretty much tells you nothing. I got to tell you, I love me some whereases. There are some th- – Yeah. There's some good ones. Good. There's some, there, oh, we, we, we've covered some really fantastic whereases in previous episodes. But what this one really does is, as we've talked about in a previous podcast, this is the bill that actually updates the science standards and the social studies standards based on the DOE recommendations. Mm-hmm. So it would basically take the C3 framework um, for the social studies, and it would take the NGSS framework. Uh, next generation science standards for the science standards and adopt those to update our current social studies standards and our current science standards. Within that update, there's a whole section of its updated economics to be personal finance. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, the, the, some of the highlights from the social, this is from the uh, Department of Education's uh, testimony. Okay. Um, some of the differences or some of the changes to the social studies standards. Um, an emphasis on the guiding principles what? and their connections to essential skills and practices of social studies. Uh, an increased focus on personal finance and the economic strand, including adding personal finance to the strand title. It's Did you say increased focus? Increased focus. Oh, so kind of that it is getting out there, right? It's, 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 it's something it's, we need to add. It's so much of it's so important or emphasize, that they say. added it to the title. What? Economics and personal finance. Interesting. Yeah. Um, also, an increased focus to ensure the teaching of Maine Native Americans occurs more authentically rather than just as an add-on of existing performance expectations. That's a great idea. Uh, a, clear pro- a clear progression of rigorous expectations for students as they progress and updated language that reflects changes in technology and teacher capacity. That's the, the social studies. Um, some key highlights of the science standards are that based on 83% of the over 100 public comments from Maine educators and science experts, the science and technology standards revision adapted the NGSS to Maine standards format. So basically they took our standards and just said, well, we have a format that we do it. We're just going to take those expectations and put them in there. Our format, our way. And those have gone through a process, right? 
They absolutely have. They, went, they went through public hearings. They went through testimony. They went through the work sessions. Went through work sessions, and they, they got a, a team work, of stakeholders together, from, across, yep. from across the state to, to look at these, to evaluate. And it's gone through a fairly rigorous, detailed process. And now they're in front, and a whole group of people have said, yep, this is what we, what we think is best for kids, teachers, administrators, legislators, all of the above. So there is a process. There is a process. Um, and so some of the concerns that I've heard about the, about the way that this brings in the NGSS is that, is that it applies it to the main format for the standards, but, it, but that format doesn't necessarily adhere to or copy the full three-dimensional scope of mm-hmm. the um, Next Generation Science Standards. But the DOE addresses that and says, yeah, well, we're adapting it to our framework for the expectations, but the idea is that the whole thing is really adapted. <coughs> oh. You okay there? Yes. You need to make it through? We need to get a cough button. I know. <laughs> I was just thinking that. So it, it really takes – it says to them, um, you can still – we expect you to still do all those, but we're, we needed to adapt it to our format to make it consistent across the content areas. Okay. And over, there, there was – I mean, there, there wasn't that many testimony. Right. What was it, like four or five – Something I see like that. Seven. Total. Seven. Okay. Um, there was one interesting point that I wanted to bring up, mm-hmm. which was uh, Senator Pouliot, I believe. Uh, he said at one point, um, "There's a lot of great work that's happened with this bill. A lot of great work with updating these standards. Is there a way that we can separate the social studies standards from the science standards? Because the science standards are kind of controversial, and we'd hate to just have everything thrown out." To throw the baby out with the bathwater if we get to that point. Why would the science I, ones be controversial? Well, there are, there, are, there, are, there are several reasons. If you look at the testimony for LD14, which is all about that, there's some discussion from what was that foundation, that, that report? That, was it a Heritage Foundation report? I believe so. Was that what it was from 2013? I believe that's right. Mm-hmm. That uh, Representative Sampson quoted it, her testimony against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are concerns that the next generation science standards mentions the fact that humans have an impact of climate change. That there's a thing called evolution that might have that might be scientifically valid, provable, factual, according to I don't know science. I'm not a scientist, but I know what the science says. Science. Yes. Thank you, Thomas Dolby. Is that his name? I was thinking more Jesse from Breaking Bad, for those of you who get that joke. Let's go to the next one. That just that just stopped that just stopped hard, didn't it? We just went we went we went down a path of I don't know where we went with that one. But anyway. Well, we're about to ramp it back up. Then. Personal finance and is is definitely a major part. That was that was a major part of the testimony on that day. You know what also might be a major part of the new learning results? What is that, Matt? LD-387, which is an act to require cursive handwriting instruction in grade 3 to grade 5. Now, when they go up to the podium to do to sign, to sign in, mm-hmm. I'm assuming they have to sign in in cursive, right? You would think that, but I was told specifically to print your name, not sign it, so the people can read it. When it goes out, because you provide testimony, it's public testimony. It goes right. out there, right? If you sign your name, we can't always read it because 
cursive writing, in my particular case, of my name is incomprehensible. But what? I know it's my signature. Was that point brought up at all during the testimony? Um, I think we're about to get to that. <laughs> the best part is this was presented by Representative Sampson, yeah. as we talked about before. And apparently she must listen to the pod because she presented the first page of her testimony in cursive. She, she did. And, and it's, might I say, it is beautiful handwriting. Fantastic. It, it is really, really nice. It would have taken me like three hours to write that. Several oh, different drafts. I, I am pretty positive. I could not make that happen. Yeah. It's just not. It's, it is beautiful writing. Uh, unfortunately, she went on for a few more pages and just had it typed. So I can see why oh. it would be a little tiring. Um, interesting. So interesting. It's an interesting choice. Let's talk about this one. Sure. Um, there is some interesting testimony. <laughs> To, to, to define interesting. If, well, How, what, what do you define as being interesting in this testimony? Well, say more. Let's go with the usual things for adding things like this that it's all a plot by uh, the, the communists to introduce something. Uh, we have some statements here uh, that talk about. Uh, I'll quote this one. It may be coincidental, but it seems that the addition of Common Core to main learnings results signaled the replacement of cursive writing with an increased dependence on technology. And how basically how cursive has just kind of faded away with the emphasis on new pedagogy and testing. Um, I don't really know where that comes from because cursive writing, it still exists. But yeah, I'm, I'm, it does. It, it does. Nobody does it anymore. I'm just going to say in schools, we teach it. But here's, here's one oh, of yeah, the we, things we, that I talk we, about. We teach it too. My daughter lear learns it. Yeah, my kids learn it. It's still there. It's still there. This would require testing, and you have to become um, competent in it. Here's my favorite testimony, though. This one comes from oh, – I'm going to get the name right. This one comes from Kate Gladstone. She is the CEO of Handwriting Repair slash Handwriting That Works. She's the director of the World Handwriting Contest. Ooh. So this pers the person who knows a thing or two about handwriting. Knows what she's talking about, right? She is, to give you some background, she's a handwriting teacher and remediator. She works nationwide and internationally, and she directs the World Handwriting Contest. Okay. And she opposes this bill. <laughs> For about five pages. <laughs> and here's why. She says handwriting matters, but does cursive matter? Great question. It, that is great it, question. In my opinion, that is the question. There is no other question. That's I because totally it's about communication. It's not necessarily about cursive. So here's what here's a quote from what she says. This is right on the first page of many pages. This is great. What matter, quote, what matters about cursive today is the ability to read it. And even children can be taught to read handwriting that they are not taught to replicate. Reading cursive can and should be taught in just 30 to 60 minutes, even to five or six-year-olds once they read ordinary print. If reading cursive is the rationale for writing it, then let's teach children to read cursive. She goes on. When someone asks, what about signatures? Here's a fact that the legislative and other devotees of cursive hope you'll never learn. 
which and this was brought up in uh, Representative Sampson's testimony and some other people's. In state and federal law, cursive signatures have no special validity over any other kind. She goes on. This is all a quote here. Hard to believe? Ask any attorney. Or ask the Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, whose semi-joined printed signature appears on every dollar bill since he took office in 2017. And they talk about just joining your letters doesn't mean it's cursive. But people have like a half cursive, half print writing yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at, at uh, my whiteboard behind us. And oh, I, that's how I write. I join all of my letters, basically. And it's nowhere near cursive. Most people put stuff together because it, it's easier and it's faster. And it is, it is insane that writing cursive would be a requirement that you actually test on, which was part of it. I think cursive, reading cursive writing is definitely important. I think oh, there, absolutely. There, there are things that you're going to have to be able to read. But teaching kids to be able to read is different than being able to teach kids to write in cursive. Yes, reading and writing are very different things. <laughs> Hashtag analysis. <laughs> so, I, I, I do, I do, I, I do kind of think that with all this other testimony, this one walks in, gives it, drops the mic, and walks out. The best part about because this one. Because it's just like, uh, uh, how, how can you argue it? How can you argue against it? Because... I, it, it, this is what, what happened to me when I was a kid, so it's important. That's a lot. That's a this. lot of the testimony. That's a lot of the testimony. Or I saw one that was said, well, I was reading the notes, and we, uh, mass customized learning came in, and so that meant it was all gone. Yeah, Wait, we took what? cursive out because of that. What? It's all you and your darn computers Computers and, and Common Core and everything else. No, that has nothing to do with it. The best part of this, again, this has not gone to work session yet, uh, but my favorite part of this was attending the testimony last week on a, a different day which talked about ev basically everybody in the room was making cursive jokes <laughs> yeah I was, I was listening at the time for no real apparent reason every time but every time no matter what the bill the cursive is going to be the thing that people are going to be talking about and it's and and it is going to keep coming up I guarantee people are going to keep coming up and they're going to say oh I wrote it in cursive oh Wrote my name down in print. Oh, didn't do it in cursive. Sorry. I've joined my letters. That's going to be my joke that nobody's going to get. <laughs> I've joined my letters. Oh, no. All right. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. LD-236, which was an act or is an act. I guess it was. It's still it an is. act. Okay. It's still an act. It is an act regarding the use of unanticipated state aid for kindergarten to grade 12 education. So this bill, remember, talked about that yep. um, you have to, if you get some extra state aid after your budget hearings in your districts and the state has delayed their budget process, which happens all the time, and they get extra money, you have to specify what it's for. And there wasn't much testimony on this one because, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Well, this is also deep into the weeds for, for budgeting. It it, 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 say, it really is. It would be really nice if the state got their act together and got their budget out on time. That would be nice. But we know that doesn't happen. Ever. Ever. So there was all all supporting on this one, uh, which means I, I'm guessing, as we talked about in our preview, there were some school districts that just got free money but didn't do anything, spec specify what to do with it with uh, community input. 
they just said, well, we have extra money. We're going to do whatever we feel like doing with it. And this kind of just tightens up that language. Everybody was for this. I expect this one to go well, there was, pretty smooth. There was one against. Uh, was there? There was. Tyler Backus of the School Finance, Com- the school finance Compliance Coordinator um, from the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. And said that. Uh, oh, yeah. The department I, didn't, would, I did not understand this one. At I, all. I, I didn't. E- I, I've, I've read it several times, and I think just for the purposes of the of the pod and, and being fair and balanced as we are, mm-hmm. that we need to. Um, both sides. Yes, both sides. Okay, both sides of the of uh, good, good good things happening. The department quote the department would respectfully request the language, blah blah that SAUs may include an article that may include an article or articles in relation. Uh, stay written as is um, because they were basically there's it, it allows that flexibility for something or other which yeah, I, I don't really, understand I didn't really follow the rest of these I will, I will read the full the full okay. I'll read the full thing so, for yeah, them so let's talk about this the department now. would respectfully request the language MRS uh, subsection 1485 sub sub subsection 5 that SAUs may include an article or articles in relation to receiving additional state subsidy stay as written as in FY 2018 when additional funding was allocated to general purpose aid GPA. There were still 65 SAUs that did not receive additional funding as these SAUs considered, quote, minimum receivers and that only receive state education aid through the adjustments in Section 5 of ED 279, we anticipate these SAUs would continue to be in the same position in future years if additional state aid is allocated to GPA. Department would respectfully request revisions to the language in that subsection to ensure the SAU is not penalized if the total cost of education, as determined by the EPS model, were to increase as well if the SAU were to receive additional state funding. So, summarize. Go for it. Uh, so I'm going to say there are some schools that don't get extra aid. Therefore, it's not necessary for them to have that extra warrant. Sounds, sounds like that. So my question back would be, so what's the harm? If you don't get any, the warrant becomes useless, which is kind of in the warrant. I, th- I, th- I th- It becomes moot. Moot? Moot. <laughs> I just said moot. All right, so we can put that that one down on the chalkboard. Uh, yeah, but but I, yeah, but I think the other point is is something similar. I don't know. I I don't know. I got nothing. So when we're recording these podcasts today, I have said moot and I've said recodification. Yes, that that it's it's been a very special day for you. We we have more pods to come too. Let's get to our last one because this one was something I knew actually nothing about mm-hmm. or very little, and after reading all the testimony, I still don't know how I would possibly vote. I get it. I think I get it. But I I don't know what the right answer is for this one. So this one was LD-464, the last one of the day on, uh, was this, February 14th, <laughs> Valentine's Day. It is an act to change the period to request a due process hearing for costs related to a unilateral private school placement from a public school. Got all kinds of testimony. More, it did. More than cursive. A lot more than cursive. <laughs> more than cursive. Yeah, there is a. Were any of them written stack. in cursive? Unfortunately, no. Under why? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So let's let's it's, talk it's, about it's this. It's as if communication has evolved. So see what I did there. I, that was that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, so what this one basically 
does it changes the period, the maximum period with within which due process hearings and appeals may be requested. It changes that from two years to ninety days. Yeah, I believe this is more in this. This makes the the procedures or the the, the law more in line with other law. That's what I believe this does. So whereas it used to say two years in in in, in this particular bill, but other laws somewhere else say 90 days you'd have to go with the 90 days rule this brings that more into line with that there was a lot of fours and a lot of against on this one so a lot of the fours uh were by the the people that you would expect it right uh, so madsec the administrators of services for children with disabilities uh, main school boards association, main superintendents, you know, all the, the main education uh, associations, associations basically are all sure. in favor of this. Uh, and their usual uh, talk about this one is mainly cutting costs of litigation. Yeah. It, you know, if you have two years to file, it, it's going to enrich lawyers for the most part. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more work finding some of the some of the things that have happened over those past two years when you when you talk about uh, discovery uh, it's going to cost a lot more so this just kind of reduces that time frame uh, and some of their arguments uh, are mainly if you know as a parent that you are moving your kid to a different school a there's a lot of background for that that just does, does not come out of the blue they, you have to give schools 10 days notice, 10 school days notice before you say, I'm not going here anymore. I'm taking this private to this private school. So there's a lot of work in there. A lot of the people that were against it were parents. A lot of parents were against this, saying that's you're basically in, infringing and reducing my rights. You're not giving me enough time. Enough time. Well, and their argument is that, you know, taking a kid out of a public school to send them to, to a private school because public schools aren't working for them sure. is very distressing. Absolutely it is. Both emotionally and financially because they're paying for that to a private school placement. This, this is what this is for. So it costs a lot of money. It's moving a kid from one place to another, which is not always easy. And it's very, very, very stressful. And they want longer than 90 days because you're caught up in a lot of other things, making sure that private school is working for you before you have to make another decision. And they want more time. They want it to stay the two years or longer. Sure. And there was something that I was reading that they, there are some other uh, places for a due process that actually go up to like five years and 10 years, and e even longer to, to do that, not, not in this particular case. It was very confusing that I don't know really a lot, a lot of. But a lot of it was how to reduce costs. Uh, looking at the one, um, uh, Representative Pierce was one the presenter of this one. Yes, I remember hearing a lot of this. And she was she was talking about uh, some of the work uh, work committees last year, and one of the recommendations was to explore and address the costs associated with special education litigation and educational program materials to determine the actual cost to school districts and how to reduce those costs. And this is what I've been getting back at a lot of this testimony. She says, quote, I offer this bill as a way to concretely begin the conversation about this difficult topic. So 
there's room for improvement in all of this, but it starts that discussion. So this was one of the ideas that came out of that work session from last session uh, that addressed, as she says, as addressed a number of the task force task forces recommendations, but one of the areas not addressed was this. So this keeps that conversation going. Again, there is a lot of testimony here. And uh, if you want to learn about some of the stuff, I would suggest go back and, and read all of this. Um, as I said at, at the beginning of this, I don't really know what to think about this one. Yeah, this is this is this is a tough one, and I, and I, I thought originally when we, were, when we were talking here that it might have had something to do with aligning law, like I said. But mm -hmm. looking, hearing you talk, and looking a little bit more into it as I've been, been reading here, um, it's 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 way more than that, because it is it, a lot of it has to do a lot of the justifications have to do with cost, mm -hmm. but. And those are ju those are reasonable justifications. The other side are very reasonable justifications too, where exactly. a where a parent says, "No, this is really a hard decision. This is not easy because we're we're, we're we are living this, and we're not necessarily the legal experts to know what to do. We're not necessarily going to necessarily think to when we go th a, a parent going through this might not think to um, get a." You'll get a lawyer right away and start looking at the, leg the legalities of what's all happening. They just want to work. They want their kid to be safe and happy and, and healthy mm -hmm. and in an environment that works for them. That's all their focus is. So I, I see that side of the argument too. That ninety days might just might not be long enough. There was one. Uh, ninety days goes by quickly. There is one lawyer, um, Michael J. Opuda, Ph.D. Sorry if I butchered that name. Um, he is actually had a couple of amendments. One was to reduce that to 30 days. Wow. Yeah, he, uh, very aggressive. But he, here's his reasoning. Parents, uh, quote, yep. parents do not make unilateral placements impulsively. They have researched private school placements, toured the facility, made an application, signed a contract, made their tuition payment. There's simply no justification for a 90-day delay in the initiation initiation of their action against the public school, end quote. And a lot of the talk from both the lawyers and the parents' side of things were basically, uh, we got to think of the kid is what we're missing. Yeah. Uh, and I totally agree with that one. I do too. Uh, one thing that I didn't quite understand, and by the way, it's the two years is the federal law. Maine currently has a four-year four law. Um, and... One, one of the things that I did not know about this, this is one from uh, a parent. Her name is Elizabeth Redstone. She says in her testimony, quote, if schools are seeking a more timely resolution, they already have the ability to speed up the timeline by initiating file due process to determine their liability. So schools can do this anytime. Parents only have this time frame, this two-year time frame right now. They want to reduce that to 90 days. Schools can do this anytime. Schools mm -hmm. can do this on day one, which I did not know. And I'm not exactly sure of what that all means necessarily. Right. But schools have a longer time period to do this than parents do. So I can see, since I don't really know much about this, that this is a, something that I'd be really interest, interested in. Uh, at the work session, see what comes out of that one, how they well, start talking about it. Yeah, and given the fact that for, especially for this day and for so far, this has been the most testimony that we've seen against it. There's a lot of passion about this. Yeah. 
and there's a lot of real interest in this. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of real wrinkles to what could be coming from this particular bill, and um, some that I think we've thought about, and some clear that we haven't. And there's there's a lot to this. This is the best reason that that we're doing this pod because I'm finding out all kinds of stuff that I didn't even know was a thing. There's so much. There is so much. It, it's anyone who thinks that education is just a classroom and a chalkboard, way off. Way off. Way off. We have been doing education in our professional lives for a whole number of years. Yeah. And we're learning stuff that we didn't even know was a thing in these past six months or so since we've been doing this. There's, there's so many little wrinkles to everything. So we hope you enjoyed that review of Valentine's Day uh, testimony. That was a, a riveting day. Stirring day. It was riveting. So with that. With that. We're done. And thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can just search for us. You'll find us. And thanks. Bye. Bye.